the voice of the Cape, pioneering 20 years in Muslim radio. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to, uh, at least welcome to this edition of Questions and Answers in our Ramadan, uh, new Ramadan slot, inshallah. Ramadan Mubarak uh, to everybody, Kareem, to everybody. Hope they're making the most of uh, this beautiful month, inshallah. But we are still um, dealing with quite a few questions in our questions and answers and, and the backlog of it as well. So a big shukran and thank you to all those that have been patient. I'm Khawa Solomon and I'll be with you for the next hour. Joining me in studio is Sheikh Ibrahim Wes, who is the resident imam at the Yusufiya Masjid out in Weinberg. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and also to all our listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Alright, so let's get straight into our SMS questions that we've received. Assalamu alaikum. I have a son from a non-Muslim and my parents are not happy with him. It might be of his religion but he is willing to embrace Islam. What what do I do, Sheikh? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wa salamu ala Rasul. It is always uh, quite awkward and difficult uh, when these situations erupt uh, where we find that children, they get involved with people of a different faith, etc. And it is parents' duties, obviously, to, to be concerned and to be uh, to take care of their children and to, to obviously guide them as best as they can. Mm. Now, in this particular case, uh, if, if the non-Muslim is still the way that he is and he hasn't yet reverted, etc., it, it obviously is going to be difficult for your parents just to accept it like that. And now you're saying that he is willing to embrace Islam. Mm. Now I think what you should be doing is let him embrace Islam first, mm. you know, and, and let him sort of prove himself that he wants to be Islam for the sake of Islam and not for the sake of wanting to get married to you, etc. And yes, uh, you know, we should never be judgmental of people that embrace Islam as long as they do it for the correct reasons. Mm. We should uh, obviously allow them to grow and allow them to learn this beautiful faith. And we do believe that people that embrace Islam, they can become better Muslims than ourselves. Mm. And that has been proven over and over again, where sometimes, you know, a revert may, may may be so serious about his religion that he can surpass people that are born Muslim because of the seriousness that they take this religion with mm. and knowing what it is to be on the other side of the of the road, etc. So it's very important, I think, for you to first tell this uh, person that you have a child with that, look, uh, you know, if you are going to embrace Islam, you should do it for the sake of Islam. Mm. And maybe you should do that first. And let's see how that works out. Let's try to prove to ourselves that this is really what you want. And, and, and then from there we can take things, mm. right? And I'm sure once the parents see that he is sincere, you know, it's not a matter of just getting Muslim because of wanting to get married and mm. because uh, this is often also a problem because you, you can't get married because you can't get Muslim rather just because you want to get married. Mm. You have to be convinced about Islam. It's a way of life. It's a, a way of thinking, you know, it's going to affect everything you do. And it's a serious decision that needs to be uh, done. And so I think also you should be patient with your parents. Hmm. Okay, don't rush them and don't be angry at them if they are not willing yet to sort of accept. 
because it's like I said, any parent would be very much concerned about their children mm. and the future of their children, etc. So give time, give time, inshallah, hopefully, if, uh, like I say, this person does embrace Islam, hopefully, if he proves to be a person that is serious about it, he will be able to change their perspective and change, you know, their thinking about him. And hopefully they will be able to accept him as a newcomer into the faith and be more willing to open up to him. But I think it's all a process that needs time. You cannot force into these things uh, because at the end of the day, it's it's all lives that are affected, you know. You, mm. you mustn't think only of yourself. Think of others. Think about your sisters, your brothers, your aunts, your uncles, your mother, your father. Mm. It's all your family members. You can't just take a decision that's going to affect everyone and yet not worry about how they are going to handle it or feel about it, etc. It's very important that we sort of consider all these angles. And inshallah, like I say, if both of you are sincere enough, Allah Ta'ala will guide you. He will give you the way out. He will give you, you know, the direction that you ought to be taking in your life. Uh, but first make right, you know, what, what needs to be made right. Hmm. Do things for the sake of Allah and he will take care of the rest, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. If a male or female remarries after their spouse's death, who will be their spouse in Jannah? Uh, both are just the last person they were married to as well. Shukran. Yeah, these are always uh, like very interesting sensitive questions. As well. <laughs> and very sensitive and very interesting because, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, Jannah, we would like to have them with us, which one, etc. And this question was actually posed to the Prophet Ali Salatu Wasalam. I think it was Ummu Salama that mm-hmm. actually asked him this question. So, what if I had more than one husband? You know, the one died, I remarried, etc. Mm-hmm. So, who will be? And I like this answer which the Prophet mm-hmm. gave. He says that you will have the chance on the day of judgment when you all enter Jannah, inshallah. Allah will give you the chance to choose the one that had the best character in the dunya, you know, mm-hmm. the one that treated you the best and that had the, the best models. That is the one that you will be choosing on the day of Qiyamah to be with you. But all the details of that inshallah, we don't know about it. We don't know how exactly it's going to work. Mm. We don't know who's going to be with who, etc. Allah alone knows about that. Because I know that the males also, they like to ask, now what about the Hurun Ain? And, you know, they, they will be having all these. And what about their wives? Mm. Inshallah, Allah alone knows how exactly these things are going to work. But I think what is important for us in, in the dunya is to work to get there, you know, yeah. to work to enter the Jannah. That is what we need to do. Uh, and the, the rest of the details will follow, inshallah. inshallah. Uh, but uh, that answer, I think, was a very wise one that the Prophet ﷺ gave. And that was, he said that you will always be with a partner that had treated you the best. Mm. And then we can also take like the general references in our deen that says, uh, and, and this is beautiful happenings that whenever the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they felt lonely because they were not close to the Prophet And one Sahabi actually, he became ill. Thoban was his name. Thoban. And, and he was like the one that was close to the Prophet, but he thought one day that if the Prophet just leaves us for a few hours, mm. then I miss him so much, you know, I become sick if I don't see him. And then he was thinking of Jannah, I think, Ya Allah, if, if I enter Jannah, for example, surely he's going to be in a higher daraja in Jannah than mm. me. And maybe I won't see him. And what if I don't even enter Jannah in the first place? And he's in Jannah and I'm not there, you know. Mm. 
So he got sick. He was like really upset because of this. And when the Prophet ﷺ returned, he said, what's wrong with you? You look sick. He says, yes, I'm sick because I was thinking of this and it affected me. Because mm. I'm thinking you were just a few hours away. And I'm thinking what is going to happen in the year after when I'm not going to be able to be with you. Mm. <laughs> and the answer was a brilliant answer that the Prophet ﷺ yes. gave. He gave this answer where he says, Al-mar'u ma'a man ahabba. A person will always be with the one that he loves. Hmm. You know, so that's a general answer. You will always be with the one that you sure. loves. So now what we say is that we need to obviously love our spouses, hmm. love them dearly, treat them well, treat them with good character. You know, you will be with them, inshallah. You will be with them. And Allah Ta'ala will, will not separate between the two of you because hmm. that love is so strong. And uh, Abu Huraira, when he heard, or, or rather Anas, rather Anas ibn Malik, he says that when that day when the Prophet ﷺ says that a person will be with the one that he loves, he say we were never as happy as we were that day mm-hmm. when we got that information. Meaning that we've got a chance to be with our loved ones, you know. We will have a chance in Jannah to be with our loved ones uh, as long as we are committed in loving them and cherishing them, etc. And for them, the greatest love for all of them and for all of us should be the love for our Prophet Muhammad وسلم, after our love for Allah. And that is the one that we also all want to be in the company of yes. in Jannah. May Allah provide Thank that for you. us and grant us that opportunity to be in his illustrious company on the day of Yom Al-Qiyamah. I mean, inshallah. And with that uh, information, we take a short break. Come back with more of your questions on 47913. Our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back and uh, really want to get through your questions so we get right into it. Assalamu alaikum, um, Sheikh. My daughter is 18 and is in a state where she likes girls. I don't know how to deal with it. And um, it is, is it a phase that she's maybe going through? If I talk to kids, they uh, talk back like I'm as a mother is like their friend. <laughs> Sheikh, please advise. Yeah, these Some are issues, yeah, lots, yeah, lots these are of course of the challenges that mm. the parents are facing in this modern world that we are finding yeah. ourselves in. And it is it's quite uh, an issue that uh, has surfaced quite yeah. a bit. And I think it's obviously because of the globalization and westernization of communities mm. where, you know, the movies and the films that we watch and so on, the things that we are exposed to on television and, and, and so on. So that popular culture that is being spread all over is a culture that is obviously un-Islamic. It's something that Islam does not agree with. Yeah. So in this particular case, you know, saying that the girl likes girls, obviously something which is absolutely haram, yeah. something which Islam will never condone. In fact, not only Islam but all religions they never condone, condone this they'll never accept this mm. as being accepted behavior uh, and I think that uh, it's it's very important that we kind of link with what is happening now and what has happened before that um, why I'm saying this is that I do believe that whenever a problem f- surfaces like this mm. it is never in isolation it is always due to maybe a lack of something else yes you know a lack of attention a lack of love a lack of and I'm not blaming you as a parent because parents also have a difficult task, you know, they mm. have to see to the households. Many times mother and father works, you know, the kids don't have time with them, etc. But what I would like you to do is to sort of backtrack, you know, and just see, is, is it maybe that your, your child, besides the influences that I'm speaking about, mm. is it maybe that your child was lacking something somewhere? You know, somewhere there was a gap in, in your relationship with the child. Maybe the child didn't feel uh, that love or that uh, closeness that they should have felt. Or did we perhaps neglect them in a certain way, right? So I think that is what you should do. 
and backtrack and see how you can fix those kinds of things. In other words, if a child grows up from a young age already, mm-hmm. I'm just going to give a different example, and uh, the parents don't care at all how the child grows up. Mm. The child is left alone. They can do as they please. They are not taught any values. They are not taught what is right from wrong. Okay. Now, if that child grows up like that, and now the child becomes an adult, okay, let's say a teenager, can we now all of a sudden, out of the blue, expect that this child must do everything we say? It's not going to work. The child is not going to understand that. It's going to be very difficult for the child now to think, why should I listen to you now? Or why mm. should you care now for what I'm doing? You know, all the time you left me. Mm. You didn't tell me anything. So, so why should I? So it's important. Islam is also, you have to nurture that Islamic values from the word go. And that's why we find in the Salah, the Prophet Ali says, teach your children Salah at the age of seven. Mm. The age of seven already. And you even be strict on them at the age of ten. Show them the seriousness of it. Because it's not something that you can leave, leave, leave. And when they're teenagers, then all of a sudden you want to now find out why, why are they doing these things. Mm. So it's important that you look at all those things. And uh, yes, I think also another point that I would like to make here is you need to act as a parent, you know, and don't allow children to manipulate you as a parent. Mm. You are the parent, they are the child. And you need to make rules and decisions and they have to abide by it. And I I understand what you're saying that you talk to them as if you are their friend. Mm. But did you maybe allow it at a certain stage to to, to sort of be like that? Mm. Because as a parent, you should always know where the lines are. Mm. You know, you should know where to draw the lines. And uh, I think that's very important. And if you look at uh, psychologists, you know what they tell you. They tell you it's a game of psychology. Because if you don't act as the parent mm. or, or, you, uh, or the one in charge or you mm. don't act authoritative, it's psychological. The child is going to take advantage. Mm. But if you act, and here we don't mean that the parents must be dictators or they must be abrupt uh, to the children police, must be rude yeah. or police the children. But there must be a sense of authority. Especially for young people, mm. they cannot just leave them un, unauthor, uh, you know, uh, un, uh, sort of uh, supervised. You can't leave them unsupervised. It's not possible. So, so whilst you are sitting with this problem at hand that you need to address, yes, you need to make it clear to her that this is unacceptable behavior, mm. and and don't allow this idea that is creeping into the mind. It's only a phase. Mm. Hopefully, it will pass, etc. Don't allow that to surface at all. Because who knows how long this phase will last? Mm-hmm. Who knows it may just set into the thinking of, of your daughter. May Allah protect. So you should be very careful and not allow that kind of thinking to sort of to overpower your minds. Address the issue head on. And yes, I think it's important if you have in the past, you've seen maybe you've neglected them. You've done certain things that was out of place. Make it right. Mm-hmm. You know, Make up for that. Acknowledge those shortcomings and make up for it in a real way. And unfortunately, parents also, the way they want to make up nowadays is they want to buy the kids a lot of stuff. Hmm. That's the way we make up. And that's wrong. We can't, buy, we can't buy children over. We can't buy the love of the kid, you know. You can satisfy them for that moment or two, but they go back to what they think. So you need to give real time, real effort you have to put in. But it's, it's a challenge. It's a great challenge. And we hope, inshallah, that Allah will make it easy for you and that Allah Ta'ala will give you the strength to act as a mother should act, and mm. you should get the support, obviously, of the father as well, and whoever else you can, to assist you and in, in addressing this problem. Because if it is left un, un uh, or supervised like mm. this, or just left alone like this, then obviously you are going to see much more issues coming up. Yeah. May Allah protect you and your family and all others. People that are perhaps going through similar things like you. Yeah, and and as she said that you know, if you do leave it like that, it does give a sense to the 
child that you're condoning it. So definitely some, some strong words should be said. And I think advisements of an outside party should be brought in if it is that, you know, the mom cannot um, handle the situation. We must all know that, you know, there's help out there for us and we must ask for it when, when it need be. So uh, with that, let's take a short break and we'll come back with more of your questions on 479 with that very challenging question before that and, and, and we all can concede it is not easy being a parent so inshallah all the best to all parents um, who are suffering at least undergoing through some challenges you know at the hands of their children and we must understand that we need to act as parents and the authoritative one right from the beginning inshallah so may we all be guided Sheikh, uh, the next question assalamu alaikum um my husband is extremely overprotective with my daughter who is his stepchild he paints a different picture to other people even though i believe there is nothing wrong um going on between them he is really to the extreme please advise on the sheikh yeah, this question is a little bit vague for me. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what the question is. Uh, it's it, it, to do with the overprotectedness only, yeah. but also saying that there's nothing going on between them. So I, I don't. So, so the mother, it just mm. feels a little bit uncomfortable because it is a, a you know, a, a girl relationship with an older man, and I mean, uh, me as a mother, I can maybe you know just. Kind of concede at the end of the day, it is a strange man. It's not really her blood, although it's in religion in in, in Islam. It's taught that you know this is um, you know he's he's not marriageable to this daughter, mm. and she could be young. But sometimes you just get that feeling as a mother that just something just doesn't feel right. You you know there's nothing going on, but just something just doesn't feel right. I think um, I, I don't know what it is, but as as a mother, you just feel that something's just not right. Yeah, so it could be yeah. Uh, it could be that uh, that she's asking about, um, but in terms of uh, saying that he's overprotected, or overprotective rather. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously, I mean, if she is a minor still or she's a child, then maybe you know he's, he's showing obviously maybe some care uh, for her and making sure that she doesn't go in the wrong places, in the wrong direction, etc., etc. Uh, but yeah, there, there are limits to these things. I yeah. mean, he shouldn't obviously abuse his uh, authority or abuse his stance as a, a stepfather, etc. Uh, and yes, while she uh, should treat him as a father, and you know he should he should be given the scope to obviously guide her when when necessary. Mm. I mean, there there should be I think uh, sort of uh, moderation from all sides. Yeah. So you as the wife uh, should also be not over sort of um, worried too yeah. much unless you really think something is wrong. Yeah. But if he, I mean, you shouldn't get angry, for example, if your husband is going to put a put a right, you know, put a, a corrector in something mm. that she's done. You should allow that because obviously if it is within the limits and within the bounds mm. and that is uh, all, all acceptable and you will know as a mother when it's going a bit over and, and seems this is the case because you're saying that the husband is extreme, extreme yeah. so you should speak to him I mean I think you should sit down and say to him and work out a plan since you are uh, married and I said before that whenever you get married to someone and you have children already there's already going to be issues, man. And, mm. and we must, from the word go, we must try to work out a kind of tangible plan. How are we going to deal with these things? Mm. I know personally of marriages that broke up 
because of stepchildren, mm. you know, in, uh, interference of uh, one spouse on the other spouse's children and stuff like that. So there must be, I think, clear parameters that are set out and uh, husband and wife should sit down and say, look, if it comes to uh, rectifying or correcting, we do it in this way or we agree on something and never show disunity mm. within the family because this can also be very detrimental to the child. When the one says something and the other one, because the child, the children also they have the tens- tendency to play up each uh, other against each other, you know, yes. to play up the parents against each other. So we must be careful about that. And I think uh, if you sit down and work out a plan, then hopefully he will also realize, okay, this is my parameters. This is what I uh, sh- should be doing or ought to be doing. I mean, surely there's going to be certain things that is of a of a of a of a, of a woman's nature that he possibly cannot give advice on or that mm. he cannot sort of give input on. And that is where you obviously are going to step in and say, look, this is my domain. We, I will deal with this. I will, I will deal with issues of this nature. And I think you must be clear with him that this is how things, and not be uh, over worried, but at the same time, you, you, you be careful and, and sort of uh, be clear hmm. what you want to put out as ground rules or hmm. house rules as far as. And I think that is useful when it comes to uh, people getting married with each one having children with him from previous marriages to have some rules set out how we are going to deal with this else it will become very complicated and become very awkward you know you feel maybe the other, my, my partner is, is just scolding my children all the time yeah so it's scolding his own children I think this also comes up from time to time mm. so those are things that needs to be sort of clarified through conversation and communication inshallah all the best to the mother and uh, may the almighty um, ease her mind with the uh, all the craziness that, that, that happens in this world today. So the next one says, Sheikh, can one make dua at the sick bed of a non-Muslim? Yes, inshallah, there is no problem in making dua for the sick, whether they be Muslim or non-Muslim, because we as uh, Muslims, we, we feel, you know, um, uh, our human connection with other humans is as such that uh, you feel sorry for someone who's sick, regardless mm. of religion. And to make dua that Allah should heal them, that Allah should give them strength and give them their health back. Nothing wrong with that at all. The Prophet ﷺ used to make dua for, for non-Muslim people that, in fact, there was a young Jewish boy that used to work for the Prophet ﷺ. It's a beautiful kissa, in, in fact. And the Nabi ﷺ uh, very earnestly visited him when he became sick. And uh, the Prophet ﷺ had a lot of concern for him, etc., but the Prophet always took the opportunity to make da'wah as such. And this is important. If you, if you go visit a non-Muslim, for example, and you pray for them, and in their presence you say to them, may God, you know, protect you, may God restore your health for you. Isn't that a form of da'wah already? I mean, the fact that you as a Muslim are reaching out. Mm. And sometimes you can actually use it as a, a means of da'wah and actually further that conversation, you know. And that is what the Prophet ﷺ did, always called people to Allah Ta'ala, always encouraging them to believe in Allah. And so we mustn't close our doors for that. I mean, our deen is not like that. Our mm. deen is always opening the doors of interaction so that we can call people to the path of Islam, to the path of Allah, etc. So if you have a neighbor that is sick, go and visit him and say in English, you know, make an English prayer for him. May, may, may God protect you, may God restore your health for you, etc. You know, there's nothing wrong with that kind of gestures, 
insha'Allah, because it will be a good means also of showing uh, interest in that person, and that person may also begin to realize the values that Islam has come with and that Islam has actually uh, taught us. So uh, with that, let's take a short break and we'll come back with more of your questions on 47913, inshallah. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back and uh, really want to get through your questions. All right, Sheikh. So the next one is please advise on interest. We cannot charge interest and we cannot buy anything that we are charged interest for. Uh, it's my understanding correct that we cannot therefore buy a house or a car, etc., where we are charged interest. Does the same apply for capital growth as well? And what is the difference between these two if we receive interest on a bank account or investment what should we do with that interest and do we rather not use that type of account or investment yeah yeah this is of course a whole uh, program just on interest if we were to go into the detail of all individual questions in this one question mm. but we can try to summarize it inshallah, inshallah. just in a nutshell uh, and that is to say yes you are quite correct when you say that interest uh, you know should be abstained from mm. uh, it is something which is clearly prohibited in the Quran Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Baqarah Allah Ta'ala has made halal trading but he has made haram riba mm. and in fact if you if you were to peruse the Quran from beginning to end you will find that the only crime that Allah Ta'ala wages a whore against a person is the crime of riba you know, there's no other crime in the Quran that Allah says if a person indulges in it I will wage a whore against him mm. okay except riba and this is clearly stated in the Quran. Uh, so yes, we should uh, by all means try to stay away from interest as far as we can. And, and Alhamdulillah, today there's alternatives. I mean, we yes. have alternatives. We have Islamic banking, we have Al-Baraka, we have these places, you know, that are offering services that are uh, alternatives for us. And we should try to uh, sort of explore those alternatives before going into the conventional kind of banking etc etc the second question here in terms of uh, is it then haram for us to buy a house and a car etc now the scholars have indicated that you know life has evolved in such a way that uh, that things have become so difficult and 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 how to buy a house for example cash and to buy cars etc it's not easy so scholars have have said like under the banner of what we call darura and darura here means necessity you know, necessity. Uh, there's a there's a rule in Islam that says الضرورات تبيح المحذورات, and the 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 jurists all use this qaida or this maxim. What what it means is that uh, necessities would normally make the impermissible permissible. Mm. Okay, but just for the extent which is necessary. So what the scholars have advised on this is many scholars, are, especially uh, in our modern times, have said that, look, in our day, day and age, it's almost impossible for any individual to buy a house uh, cash because of the prices having ex- escalated the way that it does because of the systems in, in, in the modern world, etc. It's very difficult. Okay, so many scholars have said that we can take this as a necessity for you to have a, a home of your own. You know, it's a necessity because it's survival. I mean, mm. how do you survive? How do you settle down, etc.? Um, 
Although um, some other scholars have argued that you know you can't, you, you don't have to, you can rent, for example. Why do you have to buy, etc.? But if you really look at it, rental also has become a big issue, because there's so much instability as far as that is concerned, right? Because the rental uh, prices have also escalated quite high, hmm. so you have to pay a huge amount of money every month just to stay in someone else's place. And then there's also the morality that has gone out of the window. I mean, you may stay in someone's place and he may just evict you, you know. If he feels like uh, whatever reason mm-hmm. and just kick you out whenever he feels like it so these are all issues which the scholars have considered and so they say that whilst renting is obviously an option as well it is uh, also then permissible <coughs> under the banner of darura under the banner of absolute necessity that you can purchase a house uh, even if there is going to be interest involved and although we don't say it is halal we say it is something that is impermissible that has become permissible in certain circumstances Okay, uh, and, and what we advise is uh, that obviously if you have now a house that, that, that you have bought in this method or you have a car that you've bought in this method, you must try to obviously pay up as much as you, you can, you know. And I think this is where the problem lies sometimes with people. They, they, they have um, bonds, they have uh, interest that they are paying, but they're also still living lavish lives, you know, mm-hmm. as if they own everything, as if they have so much money to spend. I mean, if you look at people traveling, for example, doing this, that, and so I think that is wrong. I mean, if you have a bond, for example, or you're paying off, you should live a simple life as possible. And you should obviously try to pay off your debts as as quick as possible. Mm. Because we also know the more you put onto the thing, the quicker it comes down, the less the interest will be, the less difficulty will be upon you. So this is what people should also realize. And we also say that it is not allowed for you to obviously buy a second, a third house, a second, a third car like that, you know, uh, using interest. We should try to steer away from that, you know, because these things only becomes permissible because of necessity. And we should not uh, now uh, expand and say we will do it for other things as well, etc. The other part of the question, just very quickly with regards to with regards to uh, capital growth, you know, in investments. Yes, of course, investments is different because investment is if you are placing money with a company that is doing business. Now, remember the ayah that I quoted, Allah has made trading halal, but he's made riba haram. So there's a difference between trading and riba. So if you invest in a company that obviously knows uh, for us as Muslims what is halal and haram, they know they, they won't invest in, in, in stuff that is haram like pornography or liquor mm-hmm. or stuff like that. So if you invest with them, it means that they are doing business with your money. And as they are making business with their money, there's profits that obviously mm-hmm. come. So they buy out things, they sell things, etc. So that is halal in Islam as long as it is within the avenues which is halal, like mm-hmm. things which is permissible for us. And that's the main difference between investments that grows and money that is in the bank. Money that is in the bank is pure interest. Mm-hmm. They don't make business with it. All that they do is they charge they, that, that money that you actually put in the bank, they loan out to other people and also gain interest out of it. So they, they borrow your money to other people. It is said that once, if, if you put money in the bank, for example, that, that that same amount that you put in the bank is borrowed to maybe 30 other people. Sure. And they charge interest on each of that loans mm. that they give. So what are they doing? The banks, essentially, they are creating money from money. Yes. Which, which is what Islam doesn't condone. Yeah. You cannot create money from money, but you can create money from business, mm. investments like doing work, etc. So that is the difference between the two. So if it is going to be investments that you go into, the investments must also be halal. Mm. It must be in halal avenues. It mustn't be in haram. And so, so you must do your research properly. And of course, the last question is in terms of having an account. Yes, you should ne- try not to have an interest bearing account. Mm. Try to t- because you get accounts that don't accumulate interest. 
And that should be the option that you follow. And in terms of the money that let's say you do have an interest bearing account, what do you do with the interest? That interest money is money that you should discard off. Mm. It's not money you can use for anything for your own personal needs. You should just give it away uh, and it's best actually to give it to the organizations. They will know how to discard with it because that money will be used in public programs mm. like the building of toilets, the building of public uh, places which will benefit the whole community. You know, that type of thing. That is where that money should go to. And so it's best just to discard. You cannot use that money for anything at all. That mm. is going to benefit you. If, let's say, you're going to give the money to poor people, you can do that. But even so, it is not a sadaqah. Yep. It is just money that you are getting rid of. Mm. Okay. Uh, and some scholars have advised you can do that, but obviously you don't inform the person that it's that type of money. Mm. You just give the recipient the money and you sort of get rid of it, not expecting any reward from Allah for giving that money to that person. So that was in a nutshell. There's uh, lots of other questions maybe that yeah. will come up or that people will wonder about, but it's quite a huge topic that perhaps we can address at another stage, inshallah, if, time, if time allows. And and I think, Sheikh, there are lots of means and ways um, nowadays with banks offering Islamic banking and um, Islamic um, finances and so on. Yeah. Yes. So but what I want to caution Del- there is just as a, as a reminder, I mean, you reminded me of this now, that if you are going to sort of explore this particular opportunity of Islamic banking mm-hmm. within the co- co- corporate banks, make sure that the banks are really offering Islamic stuff. Okay. And what I'm saying that is because we know that um, uh, some of the banks have also sort of jumped on the wagon, you know, and they're all flashing using now, the name, yeah. using the names uh, and the new thing is Sharia compliant, you yes. know. So all of a sudden all banks are Sharia compliant client because they know obviously it's a clientele that they are obviously serving Muslims have a big interest in that and so on mm-hmm. and yes there are some banks that perhaps have scholars that are advising them that uh, what is you know correct and so on mm-hmm. and so make sure if you're going if you are going to go this way make sure that it is really Islamic compliant mm-hmm. so the first question you should ask the people is who's your advisors tell me yeah. who, who advises you on Sharia I want their names and so on because mm-hmm. I want to contact them and actually know their credentials and know where they come from and what where they studied and mm. what they stand for before I'm willing to do business with you in, mm. in that particular way. That That is a do important point of note that yeah. we need to take care of. Yeah. Inshallah. And with that, we will come back with more of your SMSs. So stay tuned and uh, more after this short break. My radio station, your radio station. Our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back and taking your uh, emails, your SMSs and your faxes and uh, some of your questions via phone as well on uh, uh, yeah, at voice of the Cape 021-442-3500. Shukran so much for being patient as we get through um, your questions, your backlogged ones as well. All right. So the next one says, uh, can one pronounce divorce by saying I will do it? Yeah, this uh, will fall under the category of indirect divorce. Uh, we know the types of divorce in Islam are two. The one is what we call sarih. Sarih means explicit. Okay. No interpretation needed. And kinaya, kinaya will mean Im- not explicit but implicit. Where mm. It's not as clear but it can be interpreted as such. Mm. So if it's explicit words, and explicit words here will be in like I divorce you, mm. you are divorced, you are talaqed or I talaq you. This, these kinds of words are explicit, no interpretation needed. Whenever the words are uttered, the talaq becomes valid from that moment onwards. As for other words that are implicit, like, like this one, say, wouldn't you, like, wouldn't you divorce your wife? You say, maybe I will do it, or I will do it. Okay. Right? It, it may be alluding Question to that. Mark, yeah. yeah, it's not to say that it's explicit. Or somebody that says, go to your mother. Or somebody that says, you know, um, I don't like you. 
get get away from me. Mm. You know, these kinds of words, it may allude to in an argument to talaq, it may not also. So in this case, in the second case, we normally ask the person who uttered the words, what did you mean by it? Mm. And if you say, well, I didn't mean talaq by it. I was just playing around. I was wanting to scare her, <laughs> to frighten her. Uh, then, okay, fine. We will accept it as such. You know, it won't be talaq because the words itself lends itself open to these interpretations. So uh, I think this will also uh, fall into that category. And especially you can see that the wording here is also sort of in the future. I will do it. I mean, so in the future, maybe, you know, it's not saying that I have done it or I'm doing it. Mm. It's like in the future, maybe I'll consider it. So we consider this implicit. We need to ask the person, what do you mean by these words? Do you, do you actually mean to already divorce your wife, etc.? And if he says yes, then the divorce will be valid. Otherwise, it will not be valid. Yeah. Okay. Need to be um, clear. Yeah, that's correct. Clarity is very important in order to to, to, to give establish a ruling to that. say yeah. that the talaq has in fact been established. Because if there's no clarity, uh, then we can interpret things. Yeah. Then there we will depend on the intention of the one who, who uttered the words. Okay. Yeah. All right, Sheikh, so our next question is, can one receive and accept discounts for early payments? Yeah, um, I'm not too sure how exactly uh, that one works, but it, uh, I suppose it's like... It's, it's something like a settlement. So if you owe maybe 2,000 Rand and they're saying that, okay, if you pay cash now for your, um, for your account or whatever, um, and you get 10% discount, then instead of paying that 2,000, you pay, what, 1,800 Rand. So... Um, you 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 were originally charged two thousand rand for an item, but now they're saying, but they want the cash and they're offering you a settlement letter. We'll give you a discount. I think it's something around that. Yeah, yeah. Normally, look, uh, if there's an agreement that has been made between between two parties mm. as to what should be paid, then that is the agreement that is made, right? And that is the money that should be paid. Mm. If, for example, the seller wants to say at a later stage, okay, it's fine. You don't have to pay me the full amount anymore. You can pay me a less amount. Yeah. Obviously, you can do that. Because that will be not to the detriment of anyone. But he cannot increase the amount, for example. Because if he increases the amount, then obviously that, that cannot work, right? Mm. Because they had an agreement. So the idea is that if it is an agreed amount between two people, then the agreed amount must be paid. If it's a less amount than the agreed amount, then that is also okay. Okay, because it's not to the detriment of anyone. Mm. It's not going to affect anyone. In fact, it's going to be to the advantage of one of the parties. So that can be allowed as long as it is not more than what was agreed upon. Okay, because if it is more than what was agreed upon, then that is obviously not. Uh, I, I sort of understood the question in another light, um, and that is that I was just thinking about it um, in terms of sometimes they tell you that if you buy something on credit, then this is the price. But if you buy something on cash, then this is the price. Okay, so the item on credit will be, let's say, 300 Rand per month mm. over 10 months, let's say. Mm. So that will come to 3,000 Rand. Yes. But if you buy this item now today cash, we'll give it to you for 2,000 yeah. and not for 3,000. So is that allowed in Islam? And yes, that is allowed in Islam. There's nothing wrong with that because it's two separate entities or two separate contracts. Mm. You're going to choose either one of the two. Okay, it's not both. So you either choose the cash method in which case you are paying 2000 for the thing, that is the agreement. Or on the other hand, you are not choosing that method, but you are choosing the credit method, in which case it's, uh, and this may seem like riba. Some people have said that it's very close or similar to riba, mm. because why is it extra amount, etc., right? 
The fact of the matter is it's two contracts and you have the ability to choose between the two, either the cash one or the credit one. Okay, and whichever one you settled for, and and obviously again, it must be an amount that is established, that is agreed upon, that does not fluctuate, that does not go up and down, etc. It's an amount that you already, uh, from the beginning, know what you are going to pay back. That would also be permissible. There is nothing wrong in the Sharia as far as that contract is concerned. Okay, shukran, Sheikh. And with that, I think we'll take a short break and come back with our last segment of questions and answers. So stay with us. Station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. I'm Khawa Solomon, and of course, answering your questions via SMS, fax, email, and our Facebook for those across the lands and over the seas, like the page. Um, it's called The Voice of the Cape, and you can still send through your um, your questions via there. Our producer, Serena Jacobs, will just extract it from there. So, inshallah, the um, last few questions we have to deal with, Sheikh, is if a family member drew up a non-Sharia-compliant will, what are the rights of the heirs? Yeah, the, the issue of the wills is always a, a very tricky one because uh, in South African law, the will will be valid. Um, so the masters will accept that will, even if it was obviously non-Sharia compliant. Um, so what the is could possibly do is that if they all agree on the fact that, look, maybe our father or mother did not know or they were just neglectful or etc., um, they could do what we call a redistribution of the estate. And this is done like sort of unofficially. Um, so in other words, they're not, they, they can't contest, obviously, the will, hmm. because the will, like I said, will be accepted in the master's office because it is a valid will, even though it is not Sharia compliant. But what they could sort of, uh, as is, do, and this is the right thing to do for them amongst themselves, is to say that let us all come together and redistribute it in a way that is Sharia compliant. You know, so if there were people that were supposed to get that didn't get, they should get. And if there were people that weren't supposed to get, then they shouldn't get. You know, and and it should be worked out amongst the air sort of in a way that is uh, satisfactory to all. Because remember the the the, ro- the rule about air um, uh, uh, walls and 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 estates and estate planning is that the heirs are the main players. I mean, they are the ones that are going to accept everything. Mm. So they have a right to obviously make their own arrangements, right? And this is always done in an unofficial way, because obviously officially, like I said, the wall cannot be contested. But if it is in an unofficial capacity with the agreement with the executor, etc., we say, let, let's, we will do the thing according to how they wanted it, but let's amongst ourselves sort it out. Because in that way, we will also be making it easy upon the deceased, you know, who, mm. who slipped up on that, who didn't do it in the Sharia way. Then hopefully that will be some ease for that person as well, that things have been concluded in a way that is satisfactory to Allah and the, the rules of Islam. And uh, I think that is the uh, what the A should do. If... On the other hand, let's say um, there are some that feels, no, let's just leave it like that. Mm. You know, some heirs may feel like that and they yeah. cannot be convinced otherwise. Then I think you should let it go because there's nothing you can do and it's not your fault. Okay, it's not your, your issue. Mm. There's nothing you can change about it. And the person who drew up the will, he alone will be accountable for it. Mm. You know, the way they drew it up. Uh, but you should try to at least expedite that possibility of the heirs coming together and at least trying to sort of amongst themselves come to an agreement to do it as close to what the Sharia wants it as possible. Hmm. Okay? And if they do that, inshallah, it will be acceptable for them. 
Inshallah. So the last question, hopefully, is uh, all we have time for is goes as follows. Sheikh, what is the ruling on competitions? Say you enter a competition to help an orphanage or Islamic institution. What are the rulings? Yeah, it depends, obviously, on the nature of the competition, mm-hmm. on the nature of what is being sold or what is being uh, received, etc. Uh, if it is in the form of a raffle, for example, right? A raffle is completely haram. I mean, you can't use a raffle in terms of where you pay certain blocks or you pay certain monies and you scratch out and then there's a prize to be won Mm. like that. Uh, Obviously that cannot work because then you will be buying more blocks in order to get the raffle etc and it's a chance, issue of chance etc. I think what what is perhaps confused with with what Islamic organizations are doing nowadays is they for example would uh, have the normal tickets uh, for you to donate Mm. towards their cause. Okay, so they sell the tickets and uh, it's not like a raffle where you scratch out or anything, but they may give you a prize at the end of the day, mm. you know, for, for, for giving some money, etc. So you don't give the money with the idea of getting a prize. Yes. But should you get it, it's like a bonus, it's like over and beyond, mm. you know. And if it is done in that way, then hopefully, inshallah, it is okay. But mm. it shouldn't be like a competition competition. I don't think that is the right word to use because obviously if it's a competition in the form of a raffle or, or stuff like that, um, it shouldn't. But again, it's uh, the question needs to be clearer. What, what exactly is it that they are doing? Mm. Okay, these institutions, especially with Islamic institutions, often what, what exactly is, does the competition entail? Yeah. You know, it may be halal, it may not be halal. You know, so we need to obviously uh, find out what the details are before we can give a proper answer as far as um, that question is concerned. Yeah. And if there are any questions around um, a competition or its rules and, you know, something that Sheikh has mentioned, um, does one look at maybe the intention of those participating in, you know, not necessarily to reach the end game of winning? Uh, the, the the prize or is it about the donation should that also be considered yeah of course I think there should be clarity at least you know from the organizers mm. that is most important because they create obviously the the environment they create the mindset okay so there must be clarity as to what are you what are you doing you know mm. and I think in our context it's always when you do these things is the donation that you are giving so yeah. you're giving the money not expecting anything in the return sure. yeah okay so if some something is going to give us a gift and so it's not because you paid because of that mm. it's just a bonus that they give you you know etc so uh, we, we need to I, I would insist that we need obviously a exact question if the person wants the exact answer yeah. sort of what exactly happens before because there's different formats that these things take man they, they don't always take the exact same format one on the other for example so there's a few things that we can uh, there's some interesting in fact from a fit point of view some interesting things with regards to the rules of competitions okay okay and I was just mentioned very quickly if two people for example run they compete with each other in running and they say that look each one we give a 50 rand 50 rand the one that wins will pick the 100 rand okay okay can that work yes or no so the Sharia says no if it's the two people putting 50 50 it can't work yeah okay because it's a bit of a gamble there it's a bit of a but if let's say a third person and this is quickly off from the top of my head that I'm saying mm. this if a third person participates in that competition without paying anything for free in other words mm. okay but he also has the chance to take the 100 rand mm. then it becomes halal because now he's got an equal chance to win it without giving anything yeah you know so it becomes like that sort of makes it right okay. or, or makes it permissible so those are some some of the interesting things interesting. with regards yeah. to competition rules in Islam which perhaps we can uh, mention at another stage inshallah yeah. 
Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for Shukran and a big thank you to Sheikh Ibrahim Wurz who has afforded us the time um, to answer the questions. Uh, please, again, Shukran to you for your patience as we took the time to um, to go through all of the questions via SMS, via email, fax and the other modes as well. So really appreciate your um, your patience. So a big Shukran uh, to Sheikh once again and Salama Chabal, all the best for the, the rest of Ramadan and we'll chat soon, Sheikh. Amin, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan to you also, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners. May Allah Ta'ala give us everything of the very best in this beautiful month. May we reach our goals in this month, inshallah. And Amen. until we meet again, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wassalam wa rahmatullah. And uh, please join us again next week, same time, same place, for our new time slot in this month of Ramadan only. And uh, do continue sending your SMSs and uh, questions via fax and also call 021-442-3500 and uh, for a detailed answer to your questions. From myself, Hawa Salman, enjoy the rest of your evening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very good day to you.